Welcome to all participating here in the building with us and all those who are participating via live stream this morning. The Spirit of God invites all to worship the Creator at this time in our places which dwell on Treaty 1 territory, the ancestral lands of the Métis Nation, the Dakota, the Cree, Ojibwe, Dene, Haudenosaunee, and Anishinaabe peoples. The glory of these 40 days we celebrate with songs of praise. For Christ, by whom all things were made, himself has fasted and has prayed. So grant, O God, that we may too return in prayer and fast to you. Our spirits strengthen with your grace and give us joy to see your face. We're going to start this morning with a song called Gravity of Love. It's new, but could maybe be familiar to you. Uh, it's 494 in your hymnals. If you
Lift up your eyes to the hills. Where does your help come from? Let us worship our God, who watches over us now and always. Our next song is going to be hymn number 92, Build My Life. We will repeat the song twice, basically. Just follow along the bridge.
Psalm 16, Selected Verses My God, keep me safe. I go to you for safety. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. Without you, I don't have anything that is good. Lord, you alone are everything I need. You make my life secure. I'm very pleased with what you have given me. I'm very happy with what I have received from you. I will praise the Lord. He gives me good advice. Even at night, my heart teaches me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. He is at my right hand, so I will always be secure. So my heart is glad. Joy is on my tongue. You always show me the path of life. You will fill me with joy when I am with you. You will make me happy forever at your right hand. As we have been doing for Sundays in Lent, we will split this song up with the prayer of confession in between. It's Abide With Me, 502, if you want to follow along. I invite you to turn your palms up during this prayer as a sign of giving to and receiving from God. In the middle of this prayer, we will have a moment of silence for reflection. Lord, we need new birth, paralyzed by doubts, dead in our stubbornness and guilt, walking in blindness. Our hearts are hardened to your love. We confess to the Lord.
Jesus, you have come to put the world right, to give life to the dead, and to call into existence a people born from above. Break in by your creating spirit, send forth your fresh wind, and open the way to real life, eternal life. Amen. children to come forward for time with the children now if you'd like and we'll sit over here okay come closer if you want for anybody who'd like to because today well I I didn't have breakfast um, before I came to church did all of you have breakfast yeah did you make it no, yeah, Evan, you, kind of. You made your breakfast, Zach? I made mine. Waffles, and you put the topping on. That's a good idea. You know, um, I made my breakfast, too. I, I poured it from a box, and then I poured milk in it. Well, anyway, but I want to have more breakfast. And so I thought this morning that we would make breakfast here. What do you think? Would you like to have some? Okay. Let's take a look. I'm going to put it right down there. Okay, make some breakfast. Now, would I have a breakfast? One of the favorite ones I like. Well, what do I do? I like pancakes. So when I'm having a big breakfast, I usually take and I, I make some pancakes. Oh, boy. Looks good, doesn't it? No. 
and another one. I make them small usually, although sometimes big. I'll add that one to that one there. Okay, good. There we go. Hey, you know, um, who here has a farm? Who here has a pork on their farm? I knew that. Okay, so I thought that what do you often have for breakfast when you're having some pork? Bacon. Looks so good, doesn't it? Oh, that looks good. Oh, boy. Yeah, bacon looks a lot better done than it does before you make it. And I forgot to bring a cloth, so I'm just going to do this. Okay. Do you ever do that at home? No. You use a, yeah. Well, um, eggs? Does anybody have eggs on their farm? Yes. You have eggs too? Well, I'm going to come and live at your place. Okay. There we go. Make a couple eggs in there. Oh, there we go. Oh, looking good. Great. I like two eggs, actually. We're going to make another one. Oh, right beside the bacon. It's in there. Looks good, doesn't it? Oh, man. And I have to wipe again. Okay. Now, when you're making breakfast, I don't know, do you sometimes have to put something in the pan? Like what? What's this? Oil. Yeah. Now, maybe do some of you grow canola on your farm? Do you know that oil is made of canola? All the yellow stuff in the middle of the summer when it's blooming, that's canola. This is what this becomes. You sell canola. Okay. Well, you know what? You need a little oil in there just so you can fry it, right? Wow, that looks good. Doesn't it look good? Oh, man. Okay. Well, I have made breakfast. Anybody want to eat with me? No? Why not? Well, well, what would I do to cook it? Put it on a, yeah, Paxton? Oh, sorry, Xander. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. I knew that. I just got nervous up here. So I would have to put it on a stove and light a fire under it. Or on an electric. Or I could do it outside on the fire pit, right? That would work too. But anyway, you telling me you would not like to eat it like this? No. No. You know what? Sometimes when I look at something like this, I think this is kind of like a lot of the things that we try to do. We work, we try to make good, tasty breakfasts. We try to do things that are good with people and make them feel good and, and healthy and all those kind of things when we live with them. But you know, sometimes we forget that we need fire underneath it. And that fire is God. God does something called giving us a, a new birth or making things tasty and good. And it's like putting a fire underneath it so it cooks it and makes it taste really, really good. So I'd like you to remember the next time you have a breakfast, when it starts like that, when the fire starts, it's like God making all the things that we do different, tasty, and all what we like to eat. So we need God to make this breakfast taste good. Now, I'm just going to look over there as well. You see the ribbons? Remember them? Kyle had the one. Does anybody remember what it was last week? No? Somebody has to remember. What was the red one? Um, John. Anger. And what happens sometimes when we get angry? What do we do? Paxton. We hide people's clothes in a basket. Everybody look at David up there. Yeah, okay. Yes, okay. Anybody else want to guess? Yes, uh, uh, Ian, Kian. 
talk. So what was it about last week? When we feel angry, what do we do? We willow. We forgive. And the red meant that sometimes we get really angry, we hold our breath and we turn red. Well, today we got an orange ribbon. And I was thinking kind of like you said that when we had the breakfast, what did we need to do to make the breakfast? We need to make a fire or something under the stove. What color is a fire? Orange, right? Or it kind of reminds me like of the sun. Every morning the sun comes up and warms the earth and it brings life when everything grows, okay? So now we are gonna have a prayer. Um, if I can get Matt to put that on the screen and I'm gonna ask all of you to, now here, just before you stand up, we're going to be doing coins count after this as well, okay? But first we're gonna have that prayer together. I'm going to ask all of us to stand up. We're going to do it together. Kyle maybe taught us this last week, if you remember, right? So we are now praying together with our hands. So let's follow myself, and everybody's going to follow, and we're going to pray together this prayer that we're doing right through till Easter, okay? So we're going to say, Thank you, God, for creating us. We can choose. We can connect with each other. We can create like it's something that we're making with our hands. Jesus continues to work in us and through us. It's incredible. Thank you, God. Let's do it one more time so we really start to get this. Okay, here we go. Thank you, God, for creating us. We can choose what we do. We can connect with each other. We can create. And Jesus continues to work in and through us. It's incredible. Thank you, God. Amen. Okay, we'll ask everybody to sit down now, and we'll ask the musicians to come up, and they're going to lead us in coins count. Now, just hold on, everybody. Everybody, you remember coins count, right? Why don't you come and get this, okay? Everybody come and get one. You're going to be walking through the church getting the coins. All right, and then grab a Okay, we grab a cup. There you are. Yes. <laughs> it might, Paxton, it might. We'll see if we can cancel them. There you go, everybody. There you go. Everybody's got cups. Get cups, everybody. Get some cups. There we go. Hey, everybody. Go ahead, Chad. Yep.
waiting for them all to go. All right. <laughs> Life of the congregation this week. Um, formations today has unfortunately been canceled, so there won't be any formations after the service today. Um, Stories with Seniors is on Thursday at 2.30. Next week is family camp, so don't forget to pack your toothpaste. March 26th, Mary, Mary Lou Dreger will be here at 7 p.m. to talk about her recent books. And this is an invitation from the SMC Ladies Executive. If you wish to attend, please sign up in the foyer or contact Enid. And the next men's breakfast is March 18th, and there is a sign-up for that at the coffee bar. And now Mel's got one more announcement for us this morning. Um, just after church, you're going to find cookies on the counter out there together with the coffee. We all know that Kathy is, um, is um, moving on. She's no longer going to be our um, admin secretary. Nine is going to be do that. So today they're both going to be there in the foyer. A chance to formally say goodbye to Kathy, although she'll still be worshipping here. And to say hello to Nina as she starts. And if you don't know Nina, um, you can introduce yourself to her and say hi. She'd be glad to meet you. And she's going to be in the office from now on. So grab a cookie and have coffee and uh, say goodbye and hi. Um, after worship. All right, we've got the congregational prayer now and then the offertory prayer, which we'll say together. Let us pray. <coughs> Heavenly Mother, Holy Father, we seek your will and your way. We pray today, Lord, for Roxanne Clausen, who is receiving palliative care in hospital, and for Virginia Fast, who is receiving palliative care at home. We pray for this season of Lent, that we would draw near to you, O God, during this time. And as spring approaches, we pray we do not forget our need of you, O God. We pray for those recovering from earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. You, O God, provide meaning in our lives. God, make this world like that of heaven. Amen. Now we'll pray the offertory prayer together. Lord, you abundantly lavish your love upon us. We want to respond by offering to you from what we have been given. Accept our offering in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Good morning. Longing. What have I longed for and hoped for in life as I've pursued God and faith? My first thought is an easy one. I've always wanted to be a learner, and life provides plenty of opportunity for that. My second response has evolved over time. I long to live in peace with patience and kindness. For me, that means to live with open hands. Just a bit of background. I was raised as a preacher's kid in an evangelical church. I experienced lots of love within the home, and we had some great discussions together as a family. Once I left home and became an adult out there, I started to realize that what I understood in my formative years as well-meaning and instructive 
I was finding it to be somewhat formulaic and prescriptive, sort of like one plus one equals two. As well, I began to understand myself as someone who was anxious, controlling, and quite judgmental. I began to have questions. How could I live within situations that I couldn't control? How could I live with the anger I felt when my goals were blocked? How could I walk alongside people in pain who didn't want formulaic answers? I realized life can be complicated. As I read and listened and continued to be present over the years in various faith communities, I slowly began to understand and see love, unconditional love, God's love. One Christmas, I saw a decorative wreath in a store, and I wanted it, but decided I'd spent enough that Christmas, so I walked away. I didn't say anything to anyone. Well, that Christmas, I received that wreath as a gift. This is part of a bigger story, but it was as if God was saying, I want to bless you, Judy, but the blessings won't necessarily come the way you plan or expect them to. Open up your hands, chill, and let peace and joy begin to grow within. A while back, Brian McLaren wrote the book, We Make the Road by Walking. He has a chapter about Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit. That first there's a letting go of what has been so far, the death of Jesus. Then a letting be, a surrender to stillness and powerlessness the burial of Jesus, and then a receptivity to letting come of the Spirit of God, the resurrection of Jesus. I took that chapter as my own, and in situations that were challenging, I sat within those places of letting go and letting be, waiting for the rest to come as God chose. Be still and know that I am God. A quote by Rainer Maria Rilke also became meaningful. Be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. I stopped one-way conversations with God about how things should look and work, and I started listening. And God started talking in a variety of ways that took me by surprise. Now I show up in the morning with a big mug of tea, and I simply see what's going to happen with God. Some days quite a bit, and some days not so much. I'm learning to live vulnerably, a willingness to show up when I can't control the outcome. I want to grow in gratitude and forgiveness and get beyond myself and my wants. I guess that's called surrender. Woven through all this is a growing trust in a power greater than myself, God, Emmanuel, God with us. So longings to be a learner. More and more I realize how little I know, so I guess that will continue. And then to live in peace and kindness with my hands open. This is no doubt one of the biggest ongoing learnings in my life. And yes, I'll continue with that longing as I lean hard on God, who is my provider and my enabler.
you could turn in your hymnals to number 309, Fill Us With Your Feast. I think we can stand for this one. Debbie, thanks for sharing that, or Debbie, Judy. Um, yeah, I remember when we did that together, that book, and I still remember the evening you noted that chapter and you talked quite a bit about it, so thanks for noting that again. Yeah. Um, from Matthew. There was a man, or the kingdom of heaven, I should say, is like a man who owned land. He went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a 
for usual pay for a day's work, and then he sent them into the vineyard. At about nine o'clock, he went out again, and he saw others standing around doing nothing in the market, so he told them, you too, go out and work in my vineyard. And they went. Then at about noon, and again at three, he did the same thing. And then at five, he went out again, and he saw still others out in the market standing around doing nothing. So he said to them, why have you been standing out here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said. So he said, then you also go out and work in my vineyard. Well, when evening came, the owner called the person who was in charge of the workers. He said, call the workers in and, and give them their pay. And start with the last ones I hired and then go on to the first. So those who had been hired at five o'clock, they came and they were given the usual day's pay. Then, because they saw this, those who had been hired first came expecting to receive more, but each of them also received a usual day's pay. Well, when they received it, they began to complain about the owner. These people that you hired last only worked one hour, they said, and you, you paid them the same as us. We did most of the work. We were out there all day in the hot sun. Then the owner of the vineyard answered one of them and said, Friend, I've been fair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a usual day's pay? Take your money and, and go. I want to give the last one hired the same that I paid to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Take it and go. And remember, I give freely to the others just as I gave to you. We do like to serve in the name of Christ. And while an attribute or characteristic, I should say, of all churches and Christians, hopefully, it's a particularly defining feature of Anabaptist faith. It became central for the Mennonite church when it, among others, was born um, when it emerged in the Reformation during the 1500s. That time was called the Reformation, and it was fueled by a sense that Christian faith was not just a set of beliefs and practices and rituals in themselves, but that they were to nurture service and life with others as Christ had given eventual followers to do. Menno Simons, from whom Mennonites, followers of Menno, got their name, for those of you who maybe weren't aware of that, wrote that true evangelical faith is of such a nature that it cannot lie dormant. It clothes the naked, it feeds the hungry, it comforts the sorrowful, it shelters the destitute, it aids and consoles the sad. It does good to those who do it harm. It serves those who harm it. It prays for those who persecute it. It seeks those who are lost, binds up what's wounded, and heals the sick. It becomes all things to all people, spreading itself out in all kinds of righteousness and fruits of love. In other words, faith works and faith does. The powerful words. They grasp richly who we are to be and what we are to do, yet they're words so powerful that we might lament that often we don't manage to live up to them. 
Dennis is currently leading a study, three-part conversation grounded in Brian McLaren's book, Why Stay Christian. And as Bethany was mentioning, we were going to have it today, and then he got sick, and then he asked Glenn, and Glenn messaged me this morning that he's not doing well, so that's going to be postponed and it'll carry on when, uh, when we're told. Anyway, last week in part one, we spoke of reasons why people choose not to stay Christian. And to a point, one of the reasons, it seemed, is because Christians have so often not managed to live up to what Christ asked of us, his followers. Why? Well, we're human, I guess. And that was mentioned in the conversation last week. Often it's not been easy to recognize and acknowledge that has it. We aren't, don't necessarily want to be a community of brokenness and weakness in need of grace. We'd, we'd much rather portray strength and holiness and success and kind of being, oh, different than the others that are not with us. Another might be, and, and this is what struck me about the parable today in ways that it hadn't before, forgetfulness of where our work began, where our work begins, where it is birthed, to use a little bit of the message that we had with the kids this morning. Ask Matt to put the slides up on the screen or to start. I'd like to consider a river as our work. Our work, our being, is like a river that's feeding everything through which it flows. The North Saskatchewan River begins in the mountains of Alberta. As it leaves the mountains, it runs through cities like Edmonton and later on unknown cities like North Battleford, known as only to Curtis Culpa, who actually has his parents living there and they visit, and Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, where I used to go through and Ed's brother um, used to be a pastor, so they've probably visited there. It snakes through western prairie, western Saskatchewan, sometimes guarded by banks and other times it's not. And then this meets the staff of Prince Albert, it joins with the South Saskatchewan River and together they make the Saskatchewan River, which flows into a lake called Cedar Lake and into Lake Winnipeg and, and eventually it drains into Hudson's Bay. Along its way, its flow is constant, day after day, year after year, decade after decade and century after century. I've canoed it, people fish it. Mennonite Church Saskatchewan has a camp on it so the kids play in it in the summer. Farmers use it for irrigation, wildlife make their way down its banks in spring and summer, and in fall without number, Canada and snowies gather all over it. The noise is undeafening in preparation for the trip south. In the city, as you saw earlier in the one slide, it's bordered by parks and paths. While not its only source, though, rain runoff, for example, feeds it as well as tributaries do, its source of the Saskatchewan Glacier in the Columbian ice fields on the Alberta and British Columbia border. With current glacier melt, the flow of the river, which is said to have begun over 2,000 years ago, is going to become increasingly different. Less glacier, less water, less river. We see the river. We enjoy the river. It gives us life. It does so because it has a source. It is birthed somewhere. Our parable today is about a landowner, his vineyard and laborers and pay. The parable is understood as the landowner, sorry, the parable understands the landowner as God and the vineyard as people, God's people working in the world and serving God and the pay often understood as that which God gives to those who have served. 
Kenneth Bailey, who spent years working in the Middle East and looks at Jesus' parables with intimate knowledge of the culture, says that we often look at the parable from our perspective, that is, working in the vineyard and the workers doing the work. We serve and we serve. We're the river. But he says it actually should be seen more as a parable about the generous owner of the vineyard, God, the one who's unseen, the source of the river feeding people and animals and life further downstream. So, the landowner. After hiring workers to work his, late, his field early in the morning, the owner goes out four more times at 9 o'clock when he finds the workers there. And I actually realized I missed it as I was telling the story. He tells them to go, and he doesn't even agree on pay. He just says, trust me, I'll pay you what's right. Then he goes out again at noon and at 3 o'clock. And finally, he goes out at 5 o'clock to find still more people standing around. Now, in the culture that that parable was spoken, Bailey says, the hearers would have been surprised by the actions of that landowner. The landowner would never have been the one going out to hire workers for the vineyard and would never have made a trek five times downtown to do that. That would have been a manager's job. And then on the last trip into town, he wonders why those who need employment are still standing around, the owner does. When he finds out it's because no one hired them, he says, go, go work for me. Maybe. Maybe, not even because at this point he needs them. It would, after, only, after all, only be a very short time that they would be working. Rather, this is not about the him, it's about them and their needs. He's hiring them for their sake, not his. I was struck by this. The owner going out five times to give people work, as indicated by the negative reaction of those who labored all day, that at the very end of a very short day, the last receives as much as the one hired early and that was because the owner gave a command, pay the wage to them. Because the owner wants to pay them equally, has compassion, wants to give freely, help those workers support themselves and their families. Is it fair? As questioned by the day-long workers? Well, you know, it doesn't seem to be actually. I guess that most of us would side with the ones who said, wait a minute, that's not fair. They, with less time put in, less experience, less skills and education, all the lessers that we might come up with if this was our scenario are being paid as much as we who have all of this and done all the work. That's fair? <coughs> the owner says, fair is living with what you've agreed to, not needing more in comparison to the other. Fair is all receiving what's needed. Fair is not in your hands, it's in the hands of the owner. And the owner doesn't cheat anyone, doesn't withhold anything, just seems to by paying the last as much as the first. Which on the one hand, we might still call unfair because money is dispensed in terms of need, not accomplishment of qualifications. And it leaves all the power in the hand of the one paying rather than with the laborers. At the same time, maybe it's very fair because if we're last next time, which sometimes we think will never be, it'll never be us, we'll also be paid like the first. Bringing it all together. Back in Dennis' formation, and part two is going to be today, I was left wondering why it is that I and we struggle so much to be imitators of this generous God that's portrayed here in this parable. Like the older son in the prodigal story who was mad at his dad because he received a rebellious brother back after he'd wasted all of the inheritance money he'd been given. Like the Pharisees complaining when Jesus ate with oh, those people. Like in the parable, 
struggling to, the last one, the last, sorry, the first one hired, struggling to understand why the last one hired would have received the same, we sometimes struggle to fully receive and live and hope for the other as God did in Christ with us, as God urges within us every day. It's not that our work and projects and volunteerism and service isn't good or that we don't want it to be. The river flows and it feeds, but so often, as history and our own personal experience reveals, it, it slows down, indifference. It, it sometimes just ends, things closed up, or it even goes bad, like we talked about last week in the formation, crusades and, and racism and residential schools. In our class last week, Andrew Unger said that maybe when this happens, it's because Christianity acted, but Christ didn't. Christ's teachings were not followed. The river flowed, oblivious to its source. Monk Thomas Merton once wrote about our living and intentions in two ways that I found helpful to considering that. Christianity acting, but Christ not. And I'd like to leave those with you today. He wrote that work done with right intentions is pure. We look to serve God. We want to please God. But sometimes, and likely unconsciously, we see the work in ourselves kind of apart from God, outside of God. Our intention is primarily on the work to be done because we get the work done. While good, he says, we can become overly involved in the results and the accomplishments. We see the river, we glory it, and we're happy for that. But then he speaks about work done with simple intention. Here, we're less occupied with the work to be done. We do all that we do not only for God, but to be in God. We're more aware of God who works in and through us than we are of ourselves. Not only is work growing, but so are we. And we are then more and more getting to know our generous God, which then grows into more and more generous work. We know the river comes from somewhere, and that, not the river, holds our attention. As such, our work, our lives with others, is one step closer to the source. It's always guided by someone, not just the work that needs to happen. But actually, paradoxically, subsequently, the work and more and more of it happens well and more often. Merton goes on finally to speak of disciplines which we use to live with and in God, those sometimes named as prayer, worship, repentance, and service. We'll be hearing a few people sharing some of those practical spiritual disciplines during Lent. Gary did that for us last week. Some of you took us up maybe on practicing centering prayer, as was mentioned in the Lenten insert. The point of these disciplines, says Merton, those you might, you might practice, is not actually doing them. Not to say, I prayed this morning and evening, so I've obeyed, or I've read through the gospel, so I've obeyed, or I went to soups on and served, so I've obeyed. They are actually not quite the obedience. Rather, the doing of them will bring union with God, help us to know, experience, and understand God as much as we can, which will in turn create obedience. Us in our work, who we are in it, how we'll do it, what we think it is, how we will treat others as we give to them. Today and tomorrow and next year and the year after that. Our work is good, but it's not ours. It has a source. Our generous, self-giving, all-loving God, whom we saw among us in today's parable, who we see in the story of Lent and Easter, who we see, I trust, in our lives. 
but our work is good. May we find ourselves more and more looking to and in union with God, who is the source, so that it always will be. Amen. The next song we're going to sing is traditionally a gathering hymn, but it echoes some of the themes that um, Mel spoke about and some of the themes in the uh, scriptures. So bear with me as it's not in the order of service it normally would be. We are going to sing here in this place, number 10 in the hymn book. If you'd like to stand, please.
Lord watch over you. The The sun will not harm you by day. The Lord will bring you to life and carry you safely.